harnessing Ireland's rainwater, incredible vegan nachos, and kimchi pico de gallo. This week, we're in Cork, Ireland. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. This is Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast and website for foodies at DestinationEatDrink.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. This is the place where we explore the world's great cuisine, and this week, we're in Cork, Ireland. My guest is Virginia O'Gara, who, along with her husband, Donal, own and operate the incredible vegan restaurant, My Goodness, in Cork. But before we get to Virginia, let me ask you a favor. If you've been enjoying Destination Eat Drink, rate and review us on your podcast platform. Just takes a minute and it really helps us get the word out about the podcast to more foodie travelers just like yourself. All right. Like I said, my guest is Virginia O'Gara, and Virginia tells me her amazing story. It winds from Texas to Hawaii and finally to Cork, Ireland, where she, a vegan punk rock anarchist, took her expert knowledge of permaculture, vegan food, and fermentation and started a restaurant using a punk rock DIY ethos. Virginia talks about driving a pedicab in Austin, Texas, living in a mansion in Maui, and working at Food Not Bombs. All of those would be fascinating stories on their own, and Virginia winds them all together into one great story about herself. She also has this unique and powerful vision of food as a social justice issue and tells me about the incredible difficulty of creating a sustainable, non-exploitive food business. It's a great conversation and I'm starving. So let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Virginia O'Gara, welcome to Destination Eat Drink. It's great to have you on the podcast. It's also great to meet you for the first time. Hey, thanks. It's nice to meet you too, Brent. Thanks for having me. My first experience with my goodness was landing at your restaurant in the English market in Cork, Ireland, and I was just blown away by the food. And your husband came out and started talking to me. We spoke for a little while and he said, you know, you, you got to talk to my wife. You got to meet Virginia. And as he's describing you to me, he describes you as a vegan anarchist punk rocker from Texas. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty accurate. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask, is that an accurate description? <laughs> that's pretty, that sums me up in a few words. Yeah. <laughs> vegan anarchist punk rocker from Texas. Yeah, that's it. So how does a vegan anarchist punk rocker from Texas wind up in Cork, Ireland? Oh man, I guess um, often vegan anarchist punk rockers have to run away from Texas for protection. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is that Austin, Texas is is kind of an oasis for people, weirdos, you know, that's their, that's their mantra. It's keep Austin weird. And I wish that it still was, but um, Austin was a great place to work as a vegan anarchist punk rocker. Um, and then we found out there were some opportunities in Ireland to develop those concepts even further. I moved here in 2006 to study sustainability. Um, I, I came here for permaculture school. I've always had an interest in growing food and sustainable designs. And permaculture 
is kind of the philosophy of sustainable designs. It's it's a philosophy that tries to study nature to see how systems develop that don't require a lot of excess energy to keep systems going. And they it, it's a it's a philosophy of closed loop systems. So instead of creating waste from any system you create, that waste product is looped back around into the system and becomes a resource for that. So Ireland, Kinsale Ireland specifically, had a two-year permaculture program that uh, had a three-year waiting list on it. Um, So I signed up and held my breath waiting to be able to go to this utopia of Kinsale Ireland to be able to study and spend a couple of years really focusing on sustainability. And um, during that time, I moved to Maui. I was offered a job in Hawaii doing gardening. Oh, cool. And yeah, yeah. So while I was living in Maui in this beautiful mansion with my boyfriend, um, I got a call from Ireland saying, hey, if you want to come early to this college program, you can you can come on over. We have room for you. So I finished out my year in Hawaii and moved to Ireland to study permaculture. You know, I think we have kind of a uh, similar trajectory, Virginia, because I, I lived in Austin for about six years, later than you. Um, and from Austin, we moved to Hawaii for a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. We were on uh, we were on Oahu in uh, Kaka'ako. But, uh, wow. But uh, yeah, loved my time in Hawaii. And uh, it, really is a, it really is a paradise, but um, couldn't stay there forever, unfortunately. Uh, ditto. I got you. Yeah. The, um, it's, it's, it is a tropical paradise. I love plants. I love studying plants and there was, um, a lot to admire and a lot of great ways to spend time there climbing volcanoes and, you know, researching endemic geese species and the like, but, uh, you know, it was, it was nice to come around to a different community here in Ireland. Yeah. It was, it was a welcome change, I guess, like landing in the middle of, uh, a bunch of gardeners and farmers in Ireland after living in mansions in Maui. Yeah, right. And uh, but they're both <laughs> both places are pretty green, you know. Um, yeah. I but before we get into to do a deeper dive into Ireland, I wanted to ask you because you mentioned Austin, and like I said, I lived in Austin for almost six years. Um, so this was probably in the early two thousands when you were there. What what was Austin like, and where were you working? Well, I worked as a landscaper in an all-women's landscaping team. Oh, cool. That's what I did. I worked at the Zilker Park Canoe Rental. I worked as a pedicabber. I mean, this was, you know, the early 2000s and my early 20s. And I had just finished kind of riding around America as a young anarchist punk rocker freight train writer <laughs> cool. and activist. So I know Chicago well. I know your hometown well, because that's a, a big hub for a lot of the freight trains around America. Sure. So we'd spend some time in the burbs catching out from there. Um, I spent a lot of time in California and Oregon, Canada, New York, you name it. There was a, there's a few different kind of safe havens for vegan anarchist punks <laughs> who were around America. But in Austin, after, after doing a stint in my teens, um, traveling around on freight trains around America, I wound up down in Central America to work with people who taught me how to be a beekeeper. And I worked in several projects to kind of, I don't know, help build up infrastructure after many, many, many decades of civil war in Guatemala. And there was a pretty amazing uh, revolution happening in Chiapas. And I wanted to witness that and be a part of it. So I spent my late teens there. And um, in my early 20s, I decided it was time to go back to Texas. I was able to go back. And uh, so I wound up in Austin and studied permaculture, worked as a landscaper, a pedicabber um, in the Zilker Park boat rental. But Something I always go back to is food, not bombs. 
And Food Not Bombs is a grassroots organization that uses food that would otherwise be wasted to feed to anyone who wants it, um, especially the most needy, the most hungry. So it's a vegan organization that's been around for over 40 years that started in San Francisco. And I would travel often around America working with various Food Not Bombs chapters. So that's what created my love of building community through food. And in Austin, there was no exception to that. Um, I worked a lot with Food Not Bombs. And during that time, I met other like-minded people. And a group of us started a, a group called the Rhizome Collective. And my friend Scott Kellogg bought some land in East Austin, which was at the time, it seemed like in you know the hinterlands of Austin. Right, now right. it's pretty much not that center. way anymore. No. It was on, yeah, it was out on East 7th and no one, you know, really went out there to work on projects at the time. So it's a bunch of arty white kids and Mexican kids and black kids and Asian kids who started this project called the Rhizome Collective. And what that was, was a DIY project to try to bring sustainability to everyone using objects that, you know, are found around the city. So my friend Juan, one of the first experiments there is he built this really cool uh, anaerobic biodigester out of a five gallon water bottle that you'd find in a normal office space that just been discarded. So he put a bunch of like rotting veg in the bottom of this vessel and methane was created. He put a valve on the top and was able to create a flame. So it was a place for us to just start experimenting with these concepts of sustainability uh, to make it more, yeah, to make it for everyone, to make it more accessible for anyone who's interested. Um, often things that are sustainable and green and organic are expensive and way too high tech for many of us who are non-experts to, to have access to. But the Rhizome Collective was countering that. So not only were we exploring ways of becoming sustainable with energy, we were also growing food. We had a free school there for kids to learn about herbal medicine or, you know, how to make music. There was a really neat radio station there that was an indie media radio station reporting on all things radical and interesting. There, we ran a project called Books um, Books to Prisoners Project there. What's the name of it? The Inside Books Project. It's been so long. It's called the Inside Books Project, and many of us would meet up twice a week to send free books to prisoners in Texas, which has a huge prison population. And we are the only organization sending free books to prison other than people sending the Bible. So it was a very important wow. project. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of many. I mean, I'm just, I've just named a few uh, great things that were happening in that space. What, what I like about this so much, Virginia, is that it has that DIY aesthetic. You know, and there's something very punk rock about that, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, I think it's time to make some hemp T-shirts with vegan anarchist <laughs> punk rocker on them. <laughs> and sell them. Man, and, you're, that's, that's definitely on the spectrum of hippie and punk, man. I like where you're going with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> we, we fast forward. You, you wind up in you wind up in Ireland. You do your permaculture. Uh -huh. How did that translate now into having your restaurant, uh, my goodness, your vegan restaurant in Cork? Brent, to tell you the truth, the last thing I ever wanted to do was to run a food company because we all know um, the way that restaurants exist is through creating margins to be able to make a profit. And for me, food has always been, especially good food and vegan food has always been more of a social justice cause. I believe good food is a right and not a privilege. 
So much like going back to where we were when we were trying to find alternative ways of living sustainably, you know, with affordable found objects, I wanted to be able to produce food that could pay the farmers who are growing it well, um, nourish our community and be able to pay ourselves for the, the process. And it's really hard. It was really hard to make all those things meet. So when we started with a concept of my goodness, we wanted this to be a collective. So several of us would be running this project. And I never wanted to run a restaurant, like I mentioned. And whenever you start asking people how you run restaurants, you get, this is the answer you get is you get, you know, affordable food, you pay people nothing to do the work and you just kind of pump it out there as quickly as you possibly can. Um, Buy food that's already cut to you, buy a food that's like wrapped in plastic. So I had no interest in that. So luckily here in Cork, I kind of call Cork the Texas of Ireland because (laughs) they're some (laughs) of the nicest people in the world around, but we're surrounded by the agricultural like beef cattle and dairy cattle or surrounded by agriculture that is focused on animal products. So to start a vegan, mostly raw cafe in Cork, whatever it was now, almost, you know, eight and a half years ago, almost nine years ago was ridiculous. No one wanted to do it, but a few of us realized that we had to do it. So we started off our business using permaculture principles that we had learned in Kinsale. It was myself and about six other people. Um, So we, a few of us had been working at a, a little cafe. And when the owner of that cafe wanted to uh, move to, I don't know, like Thailand or something, we realized we were going to be out of a job and that nowhere else in Cork was there going to be any p- potential of vegan food being around. So we started looking for places. And luckily, we were offered a space in this LGBTQI disco called The Other Place. <laughs> cool. So <laughs> I know, right? So Ireland had um, only. Uh, regulated the ability to be homosexuality or decriminalized homosexuality maybe 20 years before we moved in there. So back in the day, this space was used as a way for gays to meet up. Really radical. Yeah, it was, it had a history of being really radical and it was a library, you know, holding books that were considered illegal in Catholic Ireland and they would distribute condoms when they were illegal here in Catholic Ireland. So it was nice to be a part of that history. Yeah, man, fly the flag. And we sit right in. Yes. So we fit right in there. There was, you know, gay choir that would practice. There was yoga classes. There were life drawing classes. It was just like all these really neat radical groups coming together. And it reminded me a lot of the Rhizome Collective. So I felt right at home and we just started producing food. We were open three days a week and we built our ethos around trying to eliminate exploitation in every step of the way. So we didn't want to exploit the farmers growing our food. We wanted to try to pay a fair price. We didn't want to exploit the people who were buying our food. We wanted everyone to be able to afford the food that we were creating. But in the end, we wound up exploiting ourselves because we were unable to pay ourselves. <laughs> we we're going to be right. not exploiting those other two things. So it was always hard to try to make that match up. But we knew that we wanted to build our, our business on those, those ethics of earth care, people care, and fair shares all around. And after six months of kind of getting the hang of it, you know, we built our kitchen from nothing. We had a bizarre menu that would always be either a raw main or a cooked main. We had a starter main and dessert for, I think, 12 euro. I wanted to keep it at 10, just have a nice even number, but everyone else talked to send me at 12 so we could continue to exist. Right, right. And it was so much fun. We did that for six months. And then after that, we 
we're asked to do our first ever festival where you, you know, go into a field and, you know, shovel out food for the masses. And we did so well. We made 9,000 euro. We were high-fiving each other. And on our way back, when we arrived at our kitchen, after being at the festival, there were fire trucks everywhere. And what had happened was, oh no! as we were gone, we were getting ready for pride and roof, there was a hole in the roof. There was a leak in the roof and the roofers went to fix that. And they accidentally set the entire roof on fire. You oh know, you have God. one job guys, oh, <laughs> no. fix the roof, but instead they set it on fire. The building was condemned. We had no more kitchen. So we had to figure it out really quickly. And in true DIY culture ethos, we just moved into our house and kept on going. So we were doing all of our kefir, kombucha, raw menu, cooked menu, and cabbage ferments out of our tiny little kitchen in Manhattan. And we did that for about three months until we found the space where we are now. And we rebuilt a place entirely on about 2,000 euro. So my goodness started with a few of us pitching in all the money we had, which was about 2,000 euro. And... Uh, that was it. We just kind of ran with it. So in, in permaculture, I mentioned before, earth care, people care, and fair shares is kind of the, the base from which you work. Also, you try to create these closed loop systems. The mantra, the mantra or the motto of permaculture is the problem is the solution. And I love that whenever you get stuck in anything in life, that philosophy that the problem is the solution can come back at you. So a lot of people here in Ireland complain about the weather. You're here. It's very green. Well, you get that green, those beautiful green rolling hills from ass tons of rain. That's right. <laughs> so, That's right. <laughs> so instead of seeing that as a problem, we, we're trying to figure out how can we harness that? How can we harvest that to become the solution? How do we make those margins to be able to pay ourselves what we need to survive in this world until the revolution? And we decided to start harvesting, filtering, and fermenting rainwater as one of our main products because it's going to keep raining. And um, it's nice to celebrate that. It's nice to see every time you see the, the skies turn gray like they are right now outside, um, know that you have a, an ability to harvest that and harness it because we don't appreciate it all the time unless you live in Texas, but fresh, clean water is the most important resource that we could have. It's not oil. It's not anything. Thing. It's not coal. It's fresh, clean water. We can't live without it. So it's nice to be able to celebrate that. And that's how we started My Goodness. And that's kind of the way we're always working. I wanted to circle back real quick because you mentioned kefir. Um, I, I know it as kefir. I think uh, uh -huh. I, I first came to know this in, in Austin, Texas. Um, but my question to you, Virginia, is I always thought that kefir was uh, from a dairy product. I always thought there was a dairy element to it. How do you guys make it? it? Does it usually have dairy and how do you make it vegan? Yeah, it's, it is. It does have dairy. So kefir, 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 however you want to say it, is an ancient symbiotic community of bacteria and yeast. And there's all sorts of legend that goes into how the first kefir was ever found and produced. But most likely um, what happened was these on a microbial level, these little these little buggers um, learned to work together and as a community and build a biofilm in order to house themselves to keep on existing as they are as kefir. And what these little microbes do is they feed on sugars in milk, probably originally from like in the Caucasus mountains with, you know, sheep farmers bathing their sheep in the, the rivers up there. That's probably how kefir first began. No one quite knows how these microbes have started working together. And it's impossible to make them in a laboratory. You have to actually acquire them 
and help them produce. So it's a symbiotic community of bacteria and yeast, but also there's a human element to it because we are also interacting with these microbes and we're giving them life and they help enrich our own lives. So most people would, like yourself, would understand kefir to be dairy, but there is another one that's commonly called kefir, that's water kefir or Japanese water crystals, and it has many other names. And again, it's a symbiotic community of bacteria and yeast, whereas the milk kefir, which um, ferments dairy products, kind of looks like little cauliflowers. Looks That's what their uh, biofilm looks like. The water kefir grains look like these beautiful diamonds, and that's what we use along with rainwater and sugar to create our water kefir. So what happens is the microbes, these, these little scobies will eat that sugar and their byproduct are more microbes, which are probiotics. When you consume those, you repopulate your, your, your gut with good microbes that helps you digest food, helps you, you know, process all sorts of different processes within your body makes you happier, um, enzymes, things like this. You know, there's all sorts of anecdotal stories that we've had from making kefir and kombucha over the past almost nine years as a company. But really at the end of the day, what you're creating is a tasty, fizzy drink that is full of probiotics. So it's so tasty, man. I, I just love, I just love the stuff and you're kind of blowing my mind right now, Virginia. <laughs> what you're saying is that you're fermenting water. You know, fermenting water kind of, yeah. yeah, it's kind of an outrageous idea. I love it. <laughs> I know. Actually, a lot of the guys in uh, in Ireland will say, of course, it took a Texan to come here and sell rainwater <laughs> to the Irish. <laughs> that was a joke. But yeah, we are. We're fermenting rainwater. We're taking that. <laughs> um, and rainwater is actually a really nice medium. We just have natural water falling from the sky that we filter with charcoal and UV. So yeah, it is, it is pretty mind blowing, but um, it's also weird that other people aren't doing it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like such a natural thing to do. Yeah. The fact you guys came up with this, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I wanted to talk about another, yeah. another ditch that you guys serve at uh, my goodness that also blew my mind was your uh, vegan nachos. Cause you know, Oh yeah. Na nachos are, 100% totally Tex-Mex uh, creation and yeah. you can get them any restaurant in the U.S. But um, when I had your vegan nachos and I've had vegan nachos before and I've enjoyed them, but yours, you guys, I don't know what you did, but you guys have come up with the perfect recipe for the nacho cheese with the meltability, <laughs> the flavor, uh -huh. a little bit of heat from some, uh, I guess you must put some jalapeno in there or something. It's yeah. incredible, these vegan nachos. Uh, I'm glad you like them. I really love them. I eat them almost every day still. Oh, but um, yeah, well, we live in, you know, we're in Ireland. So what can you grow in Ireland? It's I've, I've mentioned it's dark. I've mentioned it's really rainy, but you can grow really good root vegetables here and good cabbages too. Like things like carrots, potatoes, cabbages, they grow well here. So we decided we'd start making our cheese out of that as vegans. So yeah, our cheese is made from potatoes, carrots, jalapenos, which has been really fun to work with various farmers around here to start growing more chilies, um, nutritional yeast, lemon juice, um, some arrowroot, organic soy milk. We were even for a while making our own haricot milk because we can grow more haricot beans. We can grow haricot beans here more easily than soybeans, but in the end of the day, it was just, it was too much. It was about 10 hours a day to try to make enough haricot milk to make that cheese. But yeah, it's been a lot of experimenting, but I wanted, I miss those nachos in Texas, you know, 
I was a cheerleader back before I became an anarchist vegan punk rocker. <laughs> and at football matches, we'd always, a football game, sorry, where am I? Football games. <laughs> we used to go and eat nachos and disgusting like warm dill pickles out of a, out of a jar. And I thought it was great. <laughs> right. So our nacho dish is kind of an homage to that. It's that kind of like gross American plastic cheese, but we make it super healthy with turmeric and root vegetables. And then we top it with lots of different kind of pickled elements. So we'd make curtido out of uh, fermented cabbages from here. We do a kimchi pico de gallo, which was created by accident once when I was trying to stretch out um, a kimchi dish that we had. And then we do, you know, of course, our sour cream on top. We have jalapenos. We have a little bit of salad. And we do our nachos more like Tex-Mex style, almost like a Frito pie. So we have rice and uh, like a chipotle tempeh black bean chili, mm-hmm. which is contentious for some nacho lovers, but I stand by it and I think it's a good way to eat. It's perfect. I love it. And I think maybe maybe one of the things that makes it so good is that you're using root vegetables to make your vegan cheese because so many vegan cheeses are nut-based. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I've had some wonderful uh, vegan uh, nut cheeses. But I think that's what makes yours so incredibly flavorful is the root vegetable base that you use. Thank you. And it's also, uh, this is a little tip that I'm going to give you guys if you want to try it like a potato and carrot based nacho cheese. What we do is we get local potatoes, um, the waxier, the better. And you just want to cook them. So they're just undercooked. So it gives it almost more of like a silky texture. Yeah. And then we we have a blender that is like a four horsepower engine. It's more expensive <laughs> than any vehicle I've ever bought in my entire life. <laughs> right, right. But that, that also helps with the texture a lot. <laughs> Virginia, I've only visited Cork the one time. I really enjoyed it. Um, But my takeaway from my short time in Cork was thinking of it as kind of the bizarro Dublin, you know, the alternate universe of Dublin, because here's my take. Dublin's got a lot of high tech money, you know, Facebook and all these other high tech companies and a lot of tourists. Well, Cork is more like working class down to earth. Not, not that I don't like Dublin. I really, I love Dublin. But Cork to me <laughs> seems more authentic and real. Now, you're mm-hmm. a person who's not from Cork, but you've lived in Cork for quite a while. Um, two things. What's your take on Cork? And is there any merit to what I'm saying about Cork? Oh, Brent, you, you are a very perceptive fella. I mean, yeah, I do love a lot of things about Dublin. But um, what I say about Cork is that it's a place where people take what they do very seriously, but they don't take themselves too seriously. The people down here, it's kind of like the Dallas to Austin comparison as well. You okay, know? there you go. Dallas, Yeah, Dallas is a bit more like glitzy, whereas Austin's a bit more laid back. Cork is a bit more laid back in a lot of ways where um, there's just a really good community here. People in Cork love being from Cork. <laughs> they love it when people come to Cork. I noticed that. Did you? Yeah. They call it, this is the Texan comparison too. They call it the real capital. You know, they're kind of almost into the, like the separatist um, aspects of being from Cork. Like we could have our own country here, <laughs> <laughs> but in kind of a good way, you know, whereas if Texas ever seceded, I would run far away from that place. But if Cork seceded, I would be okay with it. <laughs> There's a lot going on here, but yeah, you're right. It is, it is a bit more working class. Um, it is the home of a lot of the rebels from during, from the revolution. Michael Collins was born here and yeah, in that respect, it's also a massive County. It's huge. So we have Cork city and then we have lots of other kind of really nice towns around it. 
And although Cork is considered a city and people in Ireland get really mad when you accidentally call it a town, it is almost more like a, a big town. You know, it's everyone kind of knows each other. And there is a really nice element of diversity about, and everyone's still very curious. No one here really feels, you know, it doesn't seem like anyone has anything to prove. It's just, it's more of a, it's a community. Yeah. It feels like you're a part of a really big town. So I love Cork for those reasons. We have some of the best beaches of anywhere in Ireland and people have the best accents here. They almost sing when they speak. It, it <laughs> I is. won't like offend anyone by attempting to do one right now, but no, it, it does sound beautiful. And I would just say, you know, make Cork part of your itinerary. If you're going to Dublin, it's not far and it's really worth getting out to Cork and seeing, seeing what they have to offer. Um, before I let you go, Virginia, um, you know, Obviously, My Goodness is one of your restaurant is one of my top, top recommendations, not only in Cork, but in all of Ireland. But what are some of your other favorite places when you're going out, when you and your husband are going out? Where are some places that you like to go in Cork? Ah, Well, thank you so much for coming down here and and visiting us and for the opportunity to chat with you and get to know you. Uh, And yeah, Cork is really good for um, fresh vegetables. It's like I mentioned, it's it's a it's a big agrarian town. And just this morning, we were visited by our friends Olton and Lucy at Gorton Anon Farm. So they are a couple of vegan farmers who grow vegetables not too far away from here. And during lockdown, we were able to create a friendship where we were selling on the vegetables that they would normally sell to one of my very favorite restaurants here called Cafe Paradiso. Okay, I know that place. Yeah, it's a vegetarian place that won a James Beard Award for their relationship with Olton and Lucia Gorton on farm. They've always kind of developed their menu around what these farmers could grow with them. And it's always been a vegetarian restaurant. And since Lucy and Olton went vegan, uh, I would say a decade ago, they've worked on more vegan options. So it's nice as a vegan to go there and to experience as a treat what vegan fine dining can look like. And it's a really beautiful, small setting. It's casual and elegant, and I really enjoy them. Um, The people who work there really love food and they really respect food. And they present it in a way that is exciting. So I do love that. Um, where else do we go? We sometimes like, yeah, we, I really love eating different styles of Asian food. So there's a place called Koto that we like to visit and they have a whole vegan menu. There's Malay kitchen. There is Yang Ming Wang on Princess street. You know, I've been a vegan now for about 28 years and I've lived in Cork for 16 of those years. And when we first moved here, uh, no one knew what a vegan was. They just assumed you were, you couldn't digest gluten or something. They didn't quite know what it was. But since then, I'd say almost any restaurant that you go into or even hotel you go into will have a vegan. And whereas chefs in the past used to disdain people asking for no animal products to be put in their food now, it's almost like the younger chefs coming around find reasons to celebrate it. And they find that challenge interesting. So I'd say almost anywhere you'd like to go here in Cork will have an option for you. There's Jacob's on the Mall, that kind of menu. There are a lot of really beautiful wine bars. Um, Nell's opened up recently. They're also using vegetables from Olton and Lucy that I mentioned before. And they always veganize their menu for you. It's an old Cafe Paradiso chef doing a lot of that right now. So yeah, I'd say almost anywhere. Cask is a really neat cocktail bar with vegan snacks, and they use a lot of our different kefirs and kombuchas as mixers. I'd say that veganism has 
deeply um, become a part of the vocabulary and killer for most restaurants here. And I think Ireland as a whole has started to embrace it as well. I mean, I think going to going anywhere within Ireland, it's not like some other places where you go and people look at you askance where like you described when you first got there, where they don't understand what it what it means. So yeah. I, I think that's kind of that's kind of nice. And I, I've been to uh, been to great vegan restaurants in Dublin, been to great vegan restaurants, obviously, in Cork and in Galway as well. And um, I think Ireland is is really doing a nice job of leading the way with this uh, plant based uh, eating in uh, in restaurants in both fine dining and uh, casual. So, um, yeah, yay for it's you exciting, for being it? a part of this, Virginia. <laughs> oh man, it's it's really nice to be able to be a part of it. I must say, it's it's fun. So. Um, a big part of our vegan ethos is not only that we don't want to you know, serve animal products in any of our food, but we also like to support local farmers. And it's been great to work with them to bring us new kinds of vegetables to work with that and to explore different varieties of vegetables that we can grow in Ireland. It's just no one really wanted them before. So just today, I was mentioning those farmers dropped off a bunch of cucumbers that we're going to make into kind of a Claussen style, smoky, spicy pickle. Awesome. Um, but they're all growing daikon radishes for us now that we mm. can make all of our kimchi with. Yeah, it's just, it's so much fun to live here. And Cork especially is an enthusiastic city, not town, that wants to you know, get weird with culinary skills. People want to taste pickled things now. They want crunch. They want rainbows. Um, it's yeah, it's been it's been fun to be a part of this whole culinary revolution. Virginia O'Gara, thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. Best of luck to uh, you and your husband, Donal, and your wonderful restaurant in Cork. My goodness. Uh, Brent, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. And I look forward to meeting you next time you come around. Okay, there you go. I'm, I'm telling you, listening to Virginia is making me so hungry for those vegan nachos. So, so good. I've got links to my goodness and all the places we talked about in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED195. I've also got a complete foodie guide to cork posted on my website at destinationeatdrink.com slash cork. And I just posted a story about a special pastry in Sintra, Portugal called the Travesseiro. Get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. And if you like this episode, remember, all the episodes, nearly 200 of them by now, are archived for free to listen to at RadioMisfits.com. Browse them all, and maybe you'll find a place you want to visit that wasn't even on your radar. All right, that's it for this week. Next week, we're exploring some of the best food markets. Looking forward to that. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who's trying to make kefir from scotch, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.